You're listening to On the Record. record. On the Record. Again, it's just this decision that is made in order to take that $14 billion uh, and invest it in everybody except for the kids and their families when without those kids, nobody would be watching the product. March Madness is when basketball typically shines drawing millions of eyes around the country as some of the sport's most decorated programs and Cinderella stories compete against each other in a series of single elimination games to become the champion. At the same time, growth in the tournament's popularity has led to a rise in questions about why athletes don't get to share in the profits. Today on The Morning Record, U.S. Senator Chris Murphy weighs in. Murphy on Thursday released a report criticizing the NCAA for its long-running policy against paying its amateur athletes. But does Congress have a role in this conversation? Today is March 29th. I'm Mike Savino, and this is The Morning Record. So we are now joined by Senator Chris Murphy, uh, a U.S. Senator, of course, uh, to talk about a report he issued through his office on Thursday called Madness, Inc., How Everyone is Getting Rich Off of College Sports Except the Players. Uh, Senator, thanks for your time. Uh, Thanks for having me. Great to be back. So, uh, you know, just to to get right into it, uh, you know, obviously you you take a look at uh, amateur athletics and the amount of money that goes to everyone uh, but the players. Uh, Certainly the timing coincides with the March Madness. Uh, But tell me a little bit more about the report and and why you you, uh, wanted to take a look at this. Well, I'm a huge sports fan, uh, big college sports fan, uh, and so I pay attention uh, on a you know, daily basis. Uh, and because I pay attention, I've noticed how enormous the business of college sports has become. Uh, it's tripled in the last 15 years. Today, athletic departments across the country take in 14, get ready for it, billion dollars. Uh, and it's no longer an amateur sport when you talk about big-time college football and big-time college basketball. It just, to me, is just impossible to justify as a sports fan um, rooting for a sport where adults are making millions of dollars, coaches are getting paid, athletic directors are getting paid, uh, shoe companies, TV executives are all making themselves rich off of the labor's of student athletes that are getting nothing. Um, you know, meanwhile, you know, their likenesses are being used uh, to uh, enrich people that aren't them. Um, and yeah, maybe it was Zion Williams's, you know, shoe blowing up that was the, you know, straw that broke the camel's back for me. This was a kid who, you know, almost got injured to the point that he wasn't going to be able to continue playing basketball. And he had already made lots of money for Nike for Duke, for the NCAA, for uh, ESPN. And if that injury had been a little bit more serious, he would have never made a dime for himself, despite having made lots of money for everybody else. Nike's market value went down a billion dollars that day just because of that shoe malfunction. Uh, So it's time to pay the players. It's time to find a way to get them some of these resources. Uh, And it's a civil rights issue. To me, it is absolutely a civil rights issue that these kids are being um, uh, totally undercompensated uh, when everybody else is getting rich, and it just felt like we had gotten to the breaking point. Uh, I wanted to say something. 
I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, actually, just this morning, Forbes posted uh, an article about Zion Williamson and, and his effect at Duke. And even, I mean, they're one of the legacy brands in, in all of college sports. And he's helping them, break, you know, with their even their social media reach uh, to to new heights. And, and you'd think that they've pretty much would have maxed out on their social media reach already because they're always uh, among one of the top programs in the country. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly there's, there's a lot going on at, at uh, the federal level right now. I mean, the president just put out his budget. We're looking at immigration. Uh, Health care is back in the conversation as well. Uh, certainly a lot of, of issues as well as the, the ongoing conversations with the, the Mueller report that just finished. So uh, what would you say to critics who just think that this really isn't something, uh, you know, that, that they want to see their elected officials uh, delving into? Yeah, you know, uh, I have the ability to walk and chew gum at the same time. So, uh, you know, while I would agree that uh, the state of college sports isn't the most important issue in the country today, it's not unimportant. And while I continue to uh, work really hard uh, on issues like health care and immigration and the budget, uh, I also feel like somebody's got to speak up when there's um, – when people's civil rights are being violated. And, you know, in Connecticut, we care a lot about college sports. And, you know, frankly, we have invested money as a state um, in ways that we would not if if the college sports system wasn't so broken. You know, we built this giant football stadium out in East Hartford chasing membership in a big football conference that eventually blew up under our feet. Uh, and so taxpayers in Connecticut you know, they spend a lot of money um, to keep our sports programs going. And so if we're going to be asked to spend money on that, I want to make sure that uh, college athletics is working for the kids um, and for the taxpayers. Uh, So it's not an insignificant issue in Connecticut, but agreed, there are other more important issues. And uh, I spend a lot more time working on all those issues than I, you know, have sending out one report on college basketball. And actually, it's interesting that you bring up uh, UConn. Obviously, there's been uh, reporting and, and uh, some you know eyeball-catching articles about the, the $40 million deficit that the athletic department uh, incurred uh, over the last year. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to see it in the research you did. The Washington Post had a story in, in 2015 called uh, Play in the Red. They looked at uh, 48 public universities within the Power Five uh, which is, as you alluded to, that's what UConn had been trying to get into, one of these prestigious, uh, the big-time five conferences. Uh, of those 48, 25 uh, had deficits uh, in 2014, the year that they looked at numbers. They also found that um, deficits, spending had grown, had almost doubled over a 10-year period, but yet these, these I mean, sorry, uh, income had doubled, and yet these schools continued to, to run deficits. You know, that's something that you look at in your report that, you know, the, the money is coming in and, and these schools are spending it just as quickly. I mean, how does that uh, factor in your assessment? Well, you know, first, I think it's interesting that we evaluate programs today by whether they make money or lose money. Uh, that makes it sound like college athletics is a business um, when the NCAA claims it isn't uh, and college athletic departments claim it isn't. So, you know, first, we have to decide whether we care if athletic departments make money or not. If they're really in the business of just providing opportunities for student athletes to, um, uh, to become better people through athletics, then we really shouldn't care if they lose money. Uh, but ultimately, because college athletics is a business, um, we look at their income uh, and their revenue. And you're right. 
part of it does matter what they're spending money on. Um, we generally probably shouldn't care if they make less money than they spend, except for the fact that they're spending money in ways that really have nothing to do with the educational mission of the institution. Um, Clemson University just built a new training facility for their football team that includes a miniature golf course, a recording studio. Um, you know, they basically built a teen fantasy camp as a means to recruit kids. Um, and believe me, UConn will be right behind. There'll be pressures on us to build the same thing in order to try to get recruits for our football team. And the question is, well, why should we pay for that? Why should anybody, um, taxpayers or students paying tuition, have to pay to build teen fantasy facilities as a means to improve the quality of the football team. So again, I don't care whether a university makes money. I care about how they're spending the, the money that's coming in. And right now there's a real question as to whether they're spending that uh, towards the benefit of the academic mission of the institution or even uh, for the benefit of those student athletes. Actually, it's funny. I mean, you know, you, t- you talk about some of the, the, the things that these schools are doing with their money. Auburn has uh spent $14 million on two jets for the football team and, and certainly other uh, social activities don't have access to the same resources. Yet at the same time, there was a couple of years ago, there was a player for Florida State who had to get permission from the NCAA to uh, utilize a private jet so that he could complete an uh, interview to be a Rhodes Scholar and then still make it to a late season game that Florida State had to win if it wanted to qualify for the conference championship. So on the one hand, you have Auburn buying private jets so that its coaches can uh, make recruiting trips, uh, you know, whenever. And then at the same time, you have an athlete who needs permission so that he can make travel accommodations outside of typical team travel, allowing him to both qualify for a prestigious honor like the Rhodes Scholar and still uh, compete in a high-profile game. Um Sorry, you were going to say something? No, no, no. I, I mean, but, 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 you know, there are, that's one story, but as you know, um, there are thousands of those stories right. in which the families stay impoverished while everybody around the, the athletic program makes millions. So there's a story just a couple of days ago from the first round of the NCAA tournament in which uh, the family of one of the University of Houston players couldn't afford to take a flight to see their son play. Uh, and it was illegal for the university to uh, help pay to fly in the parents of the kids. And so, you know, they weren't able to see their kid play in the NCAA tournament, despite the fact that I'm sure the shoot company executives and the you know TV company executives were flying on their private jets. Uh, and the university was flying in all their boosters to come see the first round. So, you know, again, it's just this decision that is made in order to take that $14 billion dollars. Uh, and invested in everybody except for the kids and their families when without those kids, nobody would be watching the product. So how do you envision, uh, you know, paying the players? Obviously, there's there's different ways this could work. There could be uh, basically an allowance or a stipend. Obviously, they get, you know, uh, you know, food benefits and, and things like that already. Maybe they could get some kind of allowance uh, that comes along with their uh, scholarship. 
Uh, you could create, as, as has been floated around for, for decades, you could create a, a higher tier where basically the power five breaks off, they pay, and then everyone else is in a lower tier. Or do you envision uh, just, you know what, just pay them what the, the fair market value is? Um, because there is some concern uh, at a school like even UConn, you know, we're running a $40 million deficit and we're not even paying the players. And, and then there are smaller division one schools that are, are happy to break even. Um, who may not be able to compete with a, in Alabama or an Auburn or a Clemson? I think those are all really interesting questions, and ultimately they're not for me to decide. Uh, I'm not an expert in school finance. I don't necessarily think that Congress should be micromanaging the relationship between uh, athletic departments and coaches and the kids. What's offensive to me is that the NCAA hasn't even tried to figure out the answers to those questions. Um, they're important ones, and you can do compensation right or you can do it wrong. But I'm pretty unapologetic about the fact that I'm not proposing a solution here. I'm just trying to prompt the NCAA to start sorting through the options, to start having that conversation with students and coaches and universities. Their claim that, you know, oh, it's too complicated, so we're not going to even try. Um, is ridiculous because the existing system is super complicated. They constructed a really complicated system by which everybody else gets paid, uh, through which uh, students by accident violate the rules, these Byzantine rules about what students can do and what they can't do, how much money they can make and can't can't make. Uh, So the system itself today is confusing. The NCAA should at least start a process of figuring out a way to compensate players that everybody can live with. And do you see Congress uh, perhaps playing a, a bigger role in this? As you said, it's not Congress's place to say this is how to do it. But, you know, in your report, you do note you, you, you plan on, on future reports. Um, you know, the NCAA does have a, a nonprofit uh, tax exempt status, but certainly that's different than some of the antitrust and other benefits that professional leagues have because obviously at the collegiate level, they are attached to colleges, which, you know, it's hard to argue taking away their tax exemption. Um, so what role do you have what role do you see Congress playing uh, if any besides you know some of these reports that you're issuing to highlight uh, your concerns? I think there may be a role for Congress. There's a house bill, um, a bipartisan house bill that would require the NCAA to allow students to make money at least off of their likeness. Uh, so you know if, if Zion Williamson's you know, name is being marketed by Duke, it's his name. He should probably be able to make money off of his name. Uh, So, you know, that's one route that you could go. Um, But, you know, there is this question of whether the NCAA is violating antitrust rules. um, And they have just recently lost a court case um, in which athletes brought this claim that the NCAA has to allow for compensation because the students have no other option, right? If it's not the NCAA, there's no other way to play college athletics, which, let's be honest, is the minor leagues for the NFL and the NBA. Uh, So Congress could step in and sort of specifically allow for students to at least make money off of their likeness and their merchandising, or eventually a, a, a president could come in and, you know, file an antitrust violation uh, action against the NCAA. So there's there's plenty of ways that you know Washington can step in, which is why I think it's a lot more preferable for the NCAA just to take some proactive steps on their own. Obviously, this is not a new issue. I mean, we we saw even you know I mentioned food. Uh, we saw um, when the UConn won in 2014, and some of the comments that uh, Shabazz Napier was making about hungry Huskies. 
Uh, obviously, you know, this goes back decades. Uh, actually, in uh, Mitch Album wrote a book about the the Fab Five, and he wrote a, a excerpt about how he knew when Chris Webber was leaving because the two of them were walking uh, around the Ann Arbor campus, and when they walked past uh, one of the uh, athletic apparel stores. Uh, he could te- he could see the frustration that Chris Webber had looking at his jersey in the window, which, by the way, doesn't have his name on it, as if people don't know whose jersey that is. Um, and he, he got frustrated that, uh, you know, the school is making money off of me and not me. And that's when Mitch knew that uh, Chris was, was going to declare early for the NBA. So certainly this is not a new issue. Uh, I look forward to seeing your other reports. Uh, Senator, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Has Senator Murphy referenced... The U.S. House is considering a bill that would allow college athletes to benefit from the merchandising of their likeness. In response to that bill, as well as the overall question about athlete compensation, the NCAA issued a statement earlier this month defending its stance. The statement said in part, quote, The NCAA is a member association whose more than 1,100 colleges, universities, and conferences set policy and implement reform. Efforts to strengthen rules to benefit student-athletes are continually underway, including reform measures such as permitting guaranteed multi-year athletic scholarships that also cover the full cost of attendance for college. This and countless other student-athlete reforms discussed with Congress make clear that the association is properly positioned to continue to make these changes. Later in the statement, the NCAA called the congressional bill unnecessary and said it, quote, may benefit only a small number of student athletes and cause unintended consequences and negatively impact opportunities for other college athletes. This is critical to keep in mind because the NCAA offers a unique model that creates opportunities for academic and athletic achievement to nearly 500,000 student athletes across 24 sports each year. The NCAA is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization that supports other exempt organizations by providing almost a billion dollars annually to the higher education community through payments and programming. As such, NCAA member-made rules are essential to preserving college sports in the United States, which are separate and distinct from professional sports." End quote. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Morning Record. If you like what you heard, you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Make sure you subscribe to our page so you know when new episodes are posted. You'll also discover all the other great content from the Record Journal's On the Record podcast series. Please give us a rating and review so that others can discover us too. Or cut out the middleman and just tell a friend or two. The opening theme was Ground Cayenne by The Good Louds. All on the record podcast are produced by RJ Staff.